Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community uh, United Methodist Church. You get bonus points for being here today. Thank you for uh, coming out in, in this weather to uh, join together in worship. And uh, welcome to those worshiping with us online. I'm sure that there are many uh, worshiping online from home this morning. And uh, I'm glad that you're staying safe and hope that you're blessed by our time of worship as well. I'd encourage you to find the attendance pads that are in each of the pews. You definitely want to get credit for being here, so fill those out. Pass them to others worshiping beside you this morning. As you do that, um, note the announcement insert that's in your bulletin. Uh, One thing that I do want to uh, mention is um, our Christmas offering. There was a, a Christmas letter that went out with an offering envelope in it for a Christmas offering, and Oftentimes, people, of course, bring that Christmas offering offering to the Christmas Eve service, which, of course, we didn't have uh, this year. Many people did send in a special Christmas offering, sent it in or brought it in on another Sunday, and thank you for that. Uh, The administrative board met the other night and did uh, decide to put all of that Christmas offering money into our benevolence fund. Our benevolence fund uh, is used to help out people in the in the neighborhood who are in an emergency need situation to uh, help meet their needs, and uh, so we put all of that Christmas offering into the benevolence fund. But of course, that Christmas offering was not as large as it normally would be because of not having our Christmas Eve service and that Sunday service. So uh, if you did not get an opportunity to give to that special Christmas offering and you want to help contribute to our benevolence fund, there's still an opportunity to do that. Just mark your special offering for uh, Christmas offering or for benevolence fund, and that will get added into that fund. And thank you to those of you who already did uh, make your offering to that special offering. Uh, Chad is going to come up, and uh, he has an announcement this morning. You going into the lectern, or do you need a handheld? <laughs> they won't hear you online if you just shout. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chad Mossing. I'm the head of SPRC this year, and I wanted to make a quick announcement. Um, it's, in, it's in your announcements, but I wanted to kind of reiterate it. Um, we are having a farewell to Pastor Andy luncheon next next week after church, and I wanted to really encourage all all of us to come out and and really just have a farewell luncheon and and just a time to fellowship, um, um, thank Pastor Andy and Laura and and their family um, for all everything they've done for us, um, really to show our appreciation for just just everything that and, and how they've helped our church over the past couple of years. Um, we also, please, please consider, um, please consider, uh, offering a, a card of thanks, um, maybe with a note we're, we're thinking about doing thank you cards that, that could, uh, be a, a private gesture, um, to show your thanks with a note and any other token of appreciation. Uh, we're going to have a, a basket out, out in, in the narthex, um, before and after the service today and the services next week. Um, and there's also a sign up, um, for, for, for the luncheon. So please sign up, sign up out there at the sign up after church today or by email or phone call by noon tomorrow because we need a pretty, pretty firm number um, for who's going to come to that luncheon. So thanks again. And uh, as always, um, keep Pastor Andy and Laura and their family in our prayers over this course of this next week um, because of the transition they're going to. And keep, keep your, our church, um, SBRC, as we continue to, to, to seek a and look for the, the next great pastor that we'll have. So thanks, Pastor Andy. Thank you, Chad. We come today to offer God our worship and praise. Let us be in a spirit of worship as the choir presents the music of the author. Enjoy. Oh, 
morning. Please stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship as printed in our bulletin. From the midst of our real lives with their very real problems, we come to seek courage and strength from the presence of God and the support of one another. As persons who love imperfectly and are loved imperfectly, we come to be received by the perfect love of God, proclaimed in the community of love and faith. As persons who are never fully live up to their calling in Jesus Christ, we come to be encouraged to do our best for one more week. Let us worship with hearts open to the love of God, with hands outstretched to one another, and with whole selves willing to accept the cost and the joy of being Christ's disciples. Amen. Our opening hymn this morning is Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, which is number 133 in the hymnal and on the screens. you could join with me in the opening prayer as printed in our bulletin. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for calling us into your church to be your people. We have gathered, God of grace and wisdom, because we have heard your call. You have reached out to us in Jesus Christ. You have touched us with your spirit and we have turned towards you, seeking to love as we have been loved. We call upon your holy name. Empower us to worship and serve you, walking gently on this earth, through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think Luke Snell is going to join us this morning. Luke is coming up to do the children's and the missions moments. This may be appropriate because if we go to Mongolia, this type of weather that we're having right now would be considered very, very mild. They get down to 50 below zero. So, uh, the rest of the children want to come up. We got some, even some European chocolate.
You're going to have to look at the screen with me, so make sure that you can see the, uh, see the screen. Uh, if you go to Mongolia, uh, about 50% of the people live like this. They live like they did in the Old Testament time. Uh, they're herding sheep and goats. The uh, terrain is right rugged, uh, but there is some grass there. Okay. So how do we get to Mongolia? Well, first thing we got to do is get on a plane. We got to probably fly to the west coast or one of our major cities. Then you would fly into uh, Beijing, China, or Korea. And then we would go to, into Mongolia. It would take us about 30 hours to get there. And the time zone, we've gone through 13 time zones. So uh, that is an interesting time. Your days and nights are all confused when you get there. Mongolia is shaped like this. The capital city is Ulaanbaatar. Some interesting facts about Mongolia. It's about the size of Alaska. Population with only about 3.3 million. To get that in perspective, it's probably about half the size of metro Chicago area in population. Their major industry is mining copper. They have huge copper mines right on the border of China and on Russia. Their capital city is Ulaanbaatar. And if you ever get on Jeopardy, this might be a Jeopardy question for you. Uh, it is the coldest capital in the world. Oops. Why did we go to Mongolia? Well, uh, we went there to start a concrete conference. I'm a professor and, and uh, teach uh, civil engineering and concrete is my area of specialty. And so I was asked to go there, work with a couple of the universities there. And my wife, Billy, which if you'll stand up, Billy, which is wearing one of the traditional Mongolian, what they call dells, uh, is, thank you, uh, was there to introduce school teachers on how to teach science kids. We're trying out new technology, so bear with me. People in Mongolia are basically Tibetan Buddhists, and they have some just beautiful temples there. Uh, this is myself going through there. The, one of the things that they have, if you spend those, you're sending your prayers up to God. Each one of those has, you're supposed to spin it three times, but there's rows and rows of them, so you get pretty sick of that pretty quick. Under the, when they were under the Soviet Union, and they were uh, there until 1989, uh, the Soviet Union basically attempted to wipe out all religion. But after 1989, with help from the U.S. and from Korea, uh, Christianity has gone through a great revival. So when we were there, we were trying to find a Mongolian church to go to and found the UV church, and that is the first scene we see as we go into the church, where they are obviously uh, showing Noah's Ark. Church is built like a gear, or uh, if you're uh, familiar with the Siberian word, yurt, but they call them gears, they're round buildings. And if you go inside it, you can see the uh, inside of the church and uh, how, how it looks. It's quite spacious and uh, very attractive. And you can see the Mongolian language is very close to the Russian language. And if you want, I can interpret that for you. Um, you see me afterwards if you didn't get that. And that is the congregation of the church. And... As soon as we showed up, they wanted to make sure that we get, they got a picture of us with the church. Children, after Sunday school class, the children were 
uh, uh, Sunday school class was at the same time, and they did have a gym set, and of course, they're like all kids who want to get, after sitting in Sunday school class, they want to do something else. They also built, with the help of basically the Korean church, they built a gym. Their winters last about eight months, and they wanted to have a place that would be a safe place for the Christian groups to get together, uh, play basketball, and just have uh, be able to have a good time. They also have a women's project. There's Billy that's, uh, they're showing them, they're making those crazy quilts, and they're making also slippers that they are going to sell to all the tourists. I worked with the students in uh, the University of Mongolia. Again, my specialty is concrete. And what we did is have the students, for the very first time ever, to be able to learn about how to use concrete, and we made concrete jewelry. The whole idea behind that was to give these out as part of the hospice program that the United Methodist Church has started in Mongolia. And the whole idea of a hospice program, helping people that are near at the end of their life uh, to uh, be at peace and to help them. And the jewelry was given to them to let them know that people are praying for them and concerned for them. We also gave it out at a cancer hospital as well. After COVID, the church could not meet for two years, and they don't have the internet like we have here. So basically, uh, the whole building was left abandoned. It's getting down to 50 below zero there. With no, uh, there's no plumbing in there. So they basically left it, but there was quite a bit of damage. Uh, they are expanding the use of the gym, as you would imagine, for the youth program, and they just started a tea ministry. And the tea ministry is to help the people in Mongolia that are needing hot meals. Uh, many of them are underemployed or, or not employed. And as you can tell, with it getting down to 50 below zero, some of those outfits is not really going to keep them very comfortable. It has a bright future. Mongolia, uh, as soon as the Soviet Union let them uh, free, if you will, they formed a democracy and free market, so their government is much like ours. Uh, they're friends with the U.S. It's easy to get in there. You get in there with just your passport. But they're right on the border. They're landlocked between China and Russia. So they have to be friends with them as well. Uh, but there's a great Christian revival going on there. Uh, Franklin Graham just did a, uh, 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 a series of uh, sermons there. And over 17,000 people was in attendance of that. Please pray for them. The United Methodist is continuing to uh, starting many more churches there. It's trying to make a difference. They've had the hospice program, and they have the programs for all the programs, such as the tea ministry and that. And if you're interested in contributing to this ministry, mark your uh, contributions to the Mongolian ministry, or uh, put it on your check or envelope, and Please, though, continue to pray that we'll make a difference in an area that most of us really don't know very much about, but is in need of our help. So with that, and again, one of the nice things about going to Mongolia is you get a chance to get some of that European, Asian uh, chocolates. Okay, thank you very much.
Let's sing this together in prayer. Jesus, we do make so many promises to you, but more, impro- more important than our promises to you is your promise to us. For Lord, we know that we fail so often. We do not faithfully keep all those promises as we should, and yet you are always faithful to us. You always come through on your promises. We can always depend on you. Thank you, Lord, for being our faithful Savior. Thank you for being with us through all of our trials, strengthening us through temptations, encouraging us on the path that you have laid before us. Lord, we know that your love is for us and your love is for all the people of this world from Mongolia to right here in Xenia. You are always present, loving, serving us and inviting us into service to you. Lord, speak to our hearts this day. Show us where we can serve others in your name to be beacons of your hope and your promise. Work through this congregation through times of 
transition and uncertainty, may we know that our certainty is in you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We worship now through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Let these gifts follow Christ's lead into the lives of people who live in poverty and despair. O God, use them to heal divisions among your children. Show us how to be instruments of peace. Ready us to follow Jesus, to make an offering of ourselves, not just our money. Teach us so we may teach others. Heal us so we can become instruments of healing. To these purposes, we dedicate this offering and our lives. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. The gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapters 18 through 25. Jesus calls the first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, 
for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus ministers to great crowds. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and and from beyond the Jordan. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Last week we heard about the beginning of Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' first public sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. Of course, Jesus had been preaching before that. Luke records him preaching on the prophet Isaiah in his hometown of Nazareth. Luke, uh, Matthew doesn't record that sermon, although he does mention that Jesus went to Nazareth before moving to Capernaum. We saw last week how Jesus had been moving about quite a bit. First, he came south from Galilee to Judah, to the Jordan River, where he was baptized by John. Then he was driven out into the wilderness beyond the Jordan, where he was tempted by Satan. Then back across the Jordan into the Holy Land, where he learned of John's arrest and imprisonment. Then back north to Galilee, first stopping at his hometown of Nazareth, and then moving to Capernaum by the sea. It's a lot of travel, a lot of activity going on. And as far as we can tell, Jesus was on his own through all of that. If he had any traveling companions at that point, they weren't mentioned. It appears that it was just Jesus and the Holy Spirit on those travels. He hadn't yet built a following. But with his preaching ministry begun, now people would start to follow. That's where we are in today's scripture. Last week he began to preach. This week people start to follow. And he built up quite a following. In fact, for the remainder of his ministry, it would be difficult for him to ever get away by himself. People would be following him everywhere he went for the next three years. Our scripture reading for today from Matthew shows us that from the very beginning, Jesus had two types of followers. There were two kinds of people who followed Jesus. There were the disciples... And then there was the crowds. Matthew shows us here in this passage the beginnings of both groups. And in doing so, he shows us what they were after, why they were following Jesus. And it challenges us to examine our own motivations. What are we after? Why are we following Jesus? Which of these two groups are we in? Are we disciples or are we part of the crowd? What's the difference anyway? Matthew tells about the disciples first. Jesus came upon two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he called to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they dropped everything and followed. Same thing with two other brothers, James and John. Same call, same response. The immediate nature of their response often catches us by surprise. Even though we've heard these stories a hundred times before, it never ceases to boggle our minds that these men could just up and drop everything right there on the spot, go off to an entirely new and unfamiliar way of life. Not having known Jesus at all prior to that encounter, not having prepared at all to leave behind family, 
to leave behind friends, to leave the only livelihood they had ever known, to leave the only home they had ever known, knowing nothing about where they were going or what they would be doing. Fishers of men? What did that mean anyway? We know what it means, that they would proclaim the word of salvation, that they would draw people into the kingdom of God, but could they have had any concept of that at the time? I doubt it. All they knew was that this man, Jesus, was inviting them to follow him and to learn from his way of life. It was fairly common at that time for charismatic religious leaders to have disciples who would go with them everywhere they went and learn from their way of life. The thing that is unique about Jesus and his disciples is that Jesus selected his disciples and invited them to follow him. That wasn't normally how it was done. If someone wanted to develop a holy life, if they felt compelled to be a disciple, they would seek out a master that they wanted to learn from. They would go to that master and they would ask to be his disciple. Masters didn't seek out disciples. Rather, would-be disciples sought out someone to be their master. Jesus didn't wait around for other people to decide on their own that they wanted to be his disciples. They didn't come to him asking for the job. There was no application to fill out, no interview process to go through. Jesus simply picked out some people and said, you're going to be my disciple. There isn't any indication that any of these people had any interest in being a disciple before Jesus invited them to it. They were not out there looking for a master to follow. They were simply out there living their lives, casting their nets into the sea, hauling in the fish, then going home to their families. But to these very unlikely and completely ordinary people, Jesus issued that call to come be his disciple. And they came. They gave up all that they had known to follow Jesus. That is the first kind of follower that Matthew shows us, the disciple. Being a disciple begins with the call of Jesus to ordinary people, not people who are highly qualified, not people who are uniquely suited to the religious life, not people who have gone through extensive training and preparation, not even people who are asking to be disciples, ordinary people, just like us, going about their lives. When Jesus shows up and says, you, I want you to be my disciple. Come, follow me. What Jesus promises in return, well, that's just as surprising as the invitation itself. He doesn't promise them riches and honor. He doesn't promise them good health or ease or comfort. All he says to them is, I will make you fishers of men. The only promise he makes to them up front is that they will enter into the same work as Jesus, that they will learn to do the same things Jesus does. They will learn to be like Jesus. But what are they going to get out of it? That's the thing. They don't know at first. All they know is that they will get to be a part of God's kingdom-building work. They have no idea what that will mean for their lives. They are not shown any of the details. They are not given a job description or a benefits package. They're not told where they will go or what they will have to endure. They don't know what the payoff will be other than they will be with Jesus. They will be with Jesus, and that was enough. That was enough. To know that they would be with Jesus, that was all that Peter and Andrew and James and John needed in order to leave everything else behind and go follow him. That is a disciple. Someone who follows Jesus for no other reason than to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. Disciples were not the only kind of followers Jesus had, however. There were also the crowds. That's what Matthew shows us next. 
Right after describing the call of the first disciples, Matthew goes on to relate the growth of the crowds who came from all over, from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. They came from all over. And they, too, followed Jesus wherever he went. But they did so for a much different reason than the disciples. Jesus went about healing every disease and every affliction among the people, and his fame spread throughout all Syria, and great crowds followed him. Why were the great crowds following Jesus? They followed because he was healing people. They followed because he was performing great miracles. They, they followed because he was becoming famous. They followed for many reasons, all of those reasons having to do with what he could do for them. And none of those reasons having to do with what they could do for him. The motivating question for a disciple is, what can I do for Jesus? The motivating question for the crowd is, what can Jesus do for me? Jesus was healing all kinds of diseases. He was casting out demons so that those who were possessed could lead a, a normal life once again. He, he was putting an end to seizures. He was causing paralytics to walk. He was opening the eyes of the blind. He was opening the ears of the deaf. Jesus was meeting every kind of affliction there was, bringing people healing, bringing them to wholeness. Of course the crowds were coming to him. Who wouldn't want to get in on that? If someone had a disease of any kind, of course they would try to make their way to Jesus. He would be able to cure them. If someone in their family or, or a close friend was in a bind, of course they tried to bring them to Jesus. Jesus could make a way for them. Jesus, it seemed, could meet their every need. That's why they came, for what Jesus could do for them. Now, I'm not downplaying the importance of that. Jesus did these things on purpose. He was meeting their every need in order to show that he is the one that can meet every need, not just physical and material, but spiritual and eternal as well. Jesus was revealing through these things that he is the source of life and healing and wholeness and hope. He is the source of salvation and peace. By revealing these things, by, by performing these miracles, of course he would draw a crowd. And by drawing that crowd, some might hear the truth and be saved. There is a strategic reason for him to gather a crowd of followers. But the Gospels are very clear about this. The Gospels are very clear that the crowds that followed Jesus were not disciples. There is a distinct difference in the Gospels between the disciples and the crowds. They both followed Jesus, but for very different reasons. Not everyone who chases after Jesus is a disciple. The crowds followed Jesus in order to get what they wanted to get from him. The disciples followed Jesus in order to give themselves to the crowds were in it for themselves. The disciples were in it for God. You know, one of the main reasons that people give today for not going to church, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. What they mean by irrelevant is that it doesn't relate to their everyday lives, what they like to focus on, what they like to spend their time doing. They don't see it helping them to get what they want in the moment. And that's always the question of the crowds. What's in it for me? If it doesn't help me make more money or become more famous or get a leg up on the competition, it's irrelevant. I'm always a bit leery of churches that boast of having relevant preaching. Because relevant usually means relating to what the culture says is important. Or helping me get what I want. Being relevant can draw a crowd. But it doesn't make a disciple. Because discipleship is not about Jesus giving me what I want. Discipleship is about me giving myself over to Jesus for whatever He wants. 
We Christians sometimes fall into the same trap. When our worship and our programs become overly focused on our preferences. When churches try to entertain more than transform. Did I like those musical selections? Did the service speak to me? What did I get out of it? Those are all questions asked by the crowds. When the measure of a successful church becomes all about numbers, then we are playing to the crowds and we have forgotten that the call of Jesus is not to join the crowd, but to be His disciple. That's not to say that drawing a crowd is always a bad thing. Jesus was performing some very relevant ministry. He was meeting people where they were. He was addressing their felt needs, meeting their concerns. In many ways, Jesus was giving people exactly what they wanted. And he was doing that, at least in part, so that he would draw a crowd. But he always made it clear that being in the crowd around Jesus isn't what it's all about. Chasing after Jesus so that he can meet our needs isn't enough. He drew crowds to himself so that he could show them a new and selfless way of life. So that he could show them what true life really looks like. So that he could meet their even deeper needs. Immediately after today's reading, the very next passage in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus calls all of us to a way of life that's more perfect, more holy, more selfless, more loving than any person other than Jesus has ever been able to live up to. The sermon is introduced in the first verse of the next chapter. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. There they are, both the disciples and the crowds, both of the groups that Matthew has just introduced and delineated. They are all there, they are all gathered around Jesus, and he calls all of them to this new way of being this higher way of life. You see, the point of attracting the crowds was always so that he would have an opportunity to, to, they would have an opportunity to hear and respond to this invitation to true discipleship. Because the call to discipleship actually goes out to all of them. It, it wasn't just Peter and Andrew and James and John that Jesus called to be his disciples. Everyone in that crowd who came to him, for whatever reason they came, no matter what their motivation for being there, he called to them, he challenged them, he compelled them to be his disciples, to take up the kingdom way of life. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. That is the call of Jesus, and it goes out to anyone who will respond as the disciples did. He doesn't say, chase after me to get everything you want in this life, but take up your cross and follow me. I said earlier that this text challenges us to ask which of these groups we are in. Are we the disciples or are we part of the crowd? Truth is, most Christians are a bit of both. Even the first disciples were a bit of both. Sure, they left everything and followed Jesus with no strings attached, simply for the sake of being with Jesus and learning from Jesus and serving Jesus. But still, they were hoping for something in return. Look no further than Peter. After a rich young man turned away from following Jesus because he couldn't part with all of his possessions, Peter said to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What then will we have? Translation, we're going to get some kind of return on our investment, right? Even Peter had to ask at some point, What are we getting from this deal? James and John, likewise, sure, they followed Jesus right away with nothing but the promise that they would become fishers of men. But as they drew closer to Jerusalem, allow us to sit 
one at your right hand and the other at your left when you take up your throne. They too wanted Jesus to meet their desires. We do too. That, that's part of human nature. It, it's ines, inescapable. But here's the biggest difference between the disciples and the crowd. The disciples stuck with Jesus even when they didn't get the answer that they wanted. The crowds fell away. Once they got the healing that they were after, maybe they stuck around for a sermon or two. Sometimes they held on to see Jesus perform another miracle. But soon enough, they went back to life as they defined it. Disciples stick with life as Jesus defines it. Even when the miracle doesn't come as we had hoped, even when the call takes us somewhere we don't want to go. Because the reward for discipleship, the payoff, is not getting all that we want in this life, but knowing that we are secure in Christ for eternity. It's not about Jesus doing what I want here and now, but what Jesus has already done for me on the cross. That He has paid the price for my salvation, that I can be with Him for eternity, that I can give myself to Him because He already gave Himself for me, that I can serve His kingdom now and live in His kingdom forever. What could possibly be more relevant than that? Amen. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn. You'll find it in the hymnals at number 338, Where He Leads Me. Let us sing together.
please be seated. And I pray that as we go from this place, we will indeed follow him from here and into our daily lives. And each step that we take, we will follow him all the way. Go in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.